Hey folks, my name is Jai. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm thrilled to welcome you back to the Two Mess podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're excited to have you. I'm Romina, and I use she, her pronouns. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast is created and produced by UBC's Student Alumni Council, also known as the SAC. The SAC's mission is to connect current students with alumni and to foster campus pride. In today's episode, we will present the current situation on campus regarding food insecurity, discuss some food initiatives and resources on campus, and converse with two special guests involved in this topic. Before we begin today's episode, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording this episode from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We recognize that you may be joining us from lands near or far, and we encourage you to learn about the traditional owners and caretakers of those lands. Food insecurity has become an increasingly prevalent issue at UBC, with the AMS Food Bank encountering a 500% increase in visits compared to pre-pandemic times. There have been rising concerns made about food access and security on our campus for students, staff, and faculty. Some sources of data we can draw from to get a better picture of food insecurity on our campus include the rising demand for the AMS Food Bank. In 2019's fiscal year, the AMS recorded a 7% increase in visits from the previous year. In 2020, this number rose to 57%, 56% in 2021, and 315% in 2022, which totals to a 495% increase from fiscal year 2020 or pre-pandemic levels. Visits in February and March of 2022 surpassed all visits in the 2019-2020 academic year. Even so, UBC announced its changes in funding allocation to the food bank from $90,000 to $25,000, and allocation to Sprouts dropping from $27,000 to $15,000. Additionally, Sprouts faces barriers in space due to the construction of the new rec center. So who does this affect? Mostly those who are not on a meal plan. UBC has made efforts to help with the food insecurity issue and those living in a first-year residence are under an all-access meal plan where they eat buffet-style and do not have to worry about purchasing individual items. However, commuter students and upper-year students are tasked with finding other ways to feed themselves, whether it be a packed lunch, lining up at the busy food vendors around campus, or even skipping a meal. Let's talk about the all-access dining plan. It was introduced this past academic year and has been generally regarded as a success by the university and by many first-year students who have had access to it. The all-access dining plan is a shift from the previous item-to-item -item paid declining debit system that students previously enjoyed. This one-time paid system, wherein students have unlimited access to meals at all first-year residence halls, costs $6,497.94 for the academic year. While the strategy emphasizes socialization and food variety for students, it is critiqued for its pricing, as well as the limitations for takeout options for students. Aside from the meal plan, UBC has other initiatives that aim to support food security, one of which is the UBC Food Security Initiative, or FSI. A part of UBC's budget wherein a large portion of funding is provided to these student-led food security initiatives is the FSI. This is run by UBC Wellbeing and is primarily supported by tuition increases from the 2021 to 2022 school year. The university describes the FSI as a collaborative, multidisciplinary, and systems-based approach to advance food security at UBC. This initiative identifies its foundations in the Okanagan Charter, 
and the Wellbeing Strategic Framework for the UBCO and UBCB campuses. They have two main programs promoted on their website, the Food Hub and UBC Mealshare. The Food Hub Market is a low-cost grocery store located in the Center for Interactive Research on Sustainability, or the SERS Building, 2260 West Mall. They are open Monday to Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., and their market is open for all to visit and shop at. It began as a pilot initiative from February to April 2022, and has since reopened this academic year, using a student-led governance model with staff support. Thus, like Sprouts and Agora, the Food Hub really is a student and volunteer spearheaded initiative. UBC Mealshare is a program that provides students experiencing financial barriers to accessing adequate food with non-repayable funds to access food up to once each academic term. It is confidential, available on both UBC Vancouver and Okanagan campuses, and requires applications to be accepted. Applications are accepted on a first-come, first-served basis until funding allocation for the term has been reached. The Vancouver campus only has one application round for term two, which began on January 11th, 2023. It's great to hear about UBC's food security initiative that is sponsored by the university. Another organization that supports food security is UBC Sprouts, which is special in that it is a 100% volunteer and student-run organization. The aim of Sprouts is to make healthy, affordable, and sustainably produced food accessible to everyone on campus. Located out of the Sprouts Cafe in the basement of the Life Building, they run a variety of initiatives to combat food insecurity on campus, including through their low-cost cafe, community fridge, produce market, and free meal distribution. Sprouts began in 1997 with the creation of the UBC Natural Food Co-op. In 2008, Sprouts was renovated and reopened as a volunteer-run cafe, store, and community space. Sprouts has also historically run a bulk flat buying club, a Sprouts box delivery program, and continues to host its infamous Community Eats initiative, a buy-donation lunch on Fridays. As of 2022, Sprouts has six active programs, all focusing on combating the growing food insecurity crisis in our communities, including Sprouts Cafe, Free Meal Program, Community Eats, Buy Donation Produce Market, the Community Fridge, and finally, the Saturday Distribution. Another great volunteer-run initiative is Agora Cafe. UBC Food Services initially opened and ran Agora Cafe, formerly known as Roots, in the HR McMillan Building, which houses the Faculty of Land and Food Systems, or LFS. The Food, Nutrition, and Health Student Committee asked for permission to use the location to sell baked goods and lunches after UBC Food Services abandoned it in 2004. Ashley Wan, a dietetic student, founded and coordinated the original Agora as a student-run cafe in September 2005. Agora has now solidified its position as a vital member of the LFS community and has continued to broaden its volunteer base to include students from other faculties around the UBC campus. Agora is a cutting-edge cafe that supports the university's efforts to improve food security and sustainability, while also giving its volunteers rewarding experiences. Agora Cafe is a student-volunteer-run, non-for-profit cafe at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver campus. While educating volunteers in food service and business management, their mission is to offer students and faculty members access to cheap, healthy, locally sourced, and organic food options. This serves to advance the principles of the Faculty of Land and Food Systems and advance sustainability at UBC.
I would like to thank our two guests, Cody and Caitlin, for taking the time to join us in this conversation today. Would each of you like to introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about what your involvement in the promotion of food security is like on campus? Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Caitlin Wu, and I'm a fifth year art student at UBC. I'm majoring in GRSJ or social justice work, and I'm currently a co-op student doing my final placement as the Food Hub Market Director in the SERS building. Um, and yeah, pass it off to Cody. Yeah, so my name is Cody Rector. My pronouns are he, him. I'm currently, I guess, I've got this weird title at Agora. <laughs> I'm not general manager. There's somebody else that does it. So I guess like executive chef is probably the most fitting one at the time um, for my role there. Um, so yeah, I kind of like have some advisory role at the current Agora location. And then it'll be like big piece in getting the second one that'll be up and running as well. And then also sit on the um, Food Hub advisory board. Uh, there's another uh, a circle that I sit on for like the food security piece on campus as well. And then have a work learn um, with the food hub market. I uh, was a big, big piece with Caitlin and getting that up and running and kind of conceptualizing and building out how that was going to be. So yeah, the food hub market, Agora 1, Agora 2, and then some odds and ends on campus as well. So it's a big part of it. And my, my master's is in like reproducible models for sustainably addressing food insecurity. So like addressing this issue is on my slate for the next several years full send at, at UBC. So yeah, it's a bit of a bit of what I'm up to in that role. Amazing. Thank you both so much for taking the time to introduce yourselves. Um, here's a quick question to start us off for both of you. What got you interested in working in your current areas? Yeah, um, I think both of us will probably have like kind of different stories, but we both kind of have either experienced or seen people in our family experience food insecurity at one point um, growing up. And I think for myself, it, it was really interesting to hear my dad's story of immigrating to Canada and not having a single dime in his pocket and being food insecure and not being able to feed himself. So he actually became, um, well, he started working in restaurants, the dishwasher and moved his way up but he kind of had that plan in mind to always have food around him in a space so that he would never be hungry. And I remember hearing that story as a kid and it inspired me so much. And um, food has always been just like a really big part of my family's life and mine growing up as well. So it's kind of been my focus in my social justice degree is around food insecurity. And so when this placement came up for co-op, I thought it was perfect and it has been. Um. Yeah, so I, I can go as well. So I've got I've got a pretty strong like relationship with this issue um, myself. Like I'm I'm pretty pretty honest and open about you know kind of my upbringing that I had had. So I grew up in a small town in, in Nova Scotia, um, and there wasn't a ton of money that my mom had had, and bills were super tight. And so there was a period of about seven years where every trip to the grocery store, not a dollar came out of the pocket, and the groceries were just walked out the front door with like a backup receipt in the mouth and they were just like stolen groceries for like seven years and then eventually like my mom got caught when I was like away at college I got an email one or I got a text message one day like hey like do you have a receipt between one and four o'clock on the 27th of September <laughs> like I you know I need some alibi or something and anyway, she ended up like not having any any serious repercussions come from it but it was it was just like the stress that I saw was like insane I'm just like you know, what was going on. And so I didn't learn about food security until I was in my like LFS program. 
And I started to learn about food security and the pillars of it and what it is and how it's set up. And when I was learning about it, like in, in the support systems that were around, I remember asking my mom, like, mom, like, why didn't you ask for help? Like there was, you know, Salvation Army, there was like a food bank, like there was, there was things that you could have went to. And she was just like, I couldn't let people know that I couldn't afford to feed my own kids, you know? And so it was this like stigma. It was the like discriminatory piece around it. And so even though that was kind of the first time that I got tuned into the idea that, you know, there can be outlets and support systems in place, but that people refuse to access because of the stigma in, in that type of piece. And so that was kind of like my first clue into like okay like you know maybe there can be a way to have like this non-discriminatory way of accessing free and affordable food and so that came from that kind of a background and so you know mine kind of like starts to come full circle when I so I graduated high school went away to college I graduated from the Culinary Institute of Canada cooked for a couple more years um, got my red seal after a couple thousand hours and several thousand hours in, in doing kitchen work um, and if anybody has worked in kitchens it sucks <laughs> And so I was like, okay, like I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. And that's when I pivoted to UBC. Um, and so I had gone to UBC to become a food scientist and start my own food production company. Like that's what the initial plan was. But then going through the program, like my first serious run in with this was in LFS 350. Um, and there was an individual that I'd worked with from South Vancouver Family Place who wanted to start like a, a grocery store that would work through like a mobile app. And you'd be able to buy food, like so profits would then go to buying food for families in need, but would deliver it like through the same delivery service. So when it showed up, you wouldn't know if somebody had paid for it or they were getting a free meal. And this was his like non-discriminatory way of providing food to stuff. And so I did that for the semester and then applied for a Chapman Innovation Grant. And then the Chapman Innovation Grant went for a full year. And then rolled that in and we were coming around like two months away from delivery time. And I was like, it's not going to happen. Like <laughs> we're not going to get a fully mobile like business rolling in the next two months. Um, but I had been parallel planning like Agora and, and getting it open. And so the idea to just like merge the concepts around having a way of getting something up and going um, that you know would be able to have this non-discriminatory way of providing um, free and affordable food came, came out through Agora. And so this is now my fifth year at UBC, but I started making soup on the weekends, like in my first year. So it was like September, I'd like show up to my girlfriend's place afterwards with like a little like thing of soup. And that was just something that I did on the weekends um, for like my first and second year of school. And then pandemic shut it down. And then it was a big piece in getting it reopened. And so kind of like my chef career, my like culinary background, my, you know, food security background piece that I had had. And then this restaurant that I had been volunteering at for years, like all kind of like came together at one time for getting this up and going. And then from there got plugged into the food security piece on campus and like the, the food hub and like that advisory piece. And then now it's just like, I just kind of threw my life at it. <laughs> said, okay, this is what we're doing. So that's kind of my response to, to that piece. Yeah. Those are awesome answers. Thank you both so much. And thank you for, being very candid and sharing the personal connections as well. I think that's very meaningful and it resonates with so many people. Um, another quick question for you both is, what has been your favorite moment working within food security in the initiatives that you're involved in, whether that's Food Hub or Agorica? There's so many moments. I'm sure Cody can agree. You can't just choose one. That Every single day that our operations are like working or even when it's closed, it's like there's so many moments where 
you just feel really grateful for this opportunity and just to be in a space with people who care so much. I think there's so many people that realize that food insecurity is such a huge problem on campus and they want to do something about it and they care and they care about sustainability and climate action and empathy and just building connections in the space and community. And there's so many moments that like fly through my brain right now, just thinking about me and Cody setting up the food hub market together. Like there were so many, like <laughs> there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into that space when we were building it together. And it was just really fun, really exciting. We had no idea what was going to like come about. I mean, I think Cody had a really good idea, but for me, this is like a whole new experience. So I was kind of just trusting the process and um, kind of like that little bit of fear is really exciting at the same time as um, just like being happy to be here. So there's been so many moments of the stages of getting everything going to the point of where we're, we're at now with a little community in the space um, where there's so many amazing volunteers that I manage and people who come through that are just really happy that the market exists and that we have like fun little events and cooking demos where they can connect with their peers and learn and eat free food. And just like every moment of being in that space is so rewarding for me. Yeah. <laughs> you Cody. Yeah. I've got, I've got, yeah, I've got so many that go back to you. Like, you know, last, last, like this time last year, like there was at least like three or four nights. Like I slept in McMillan, you know, like I'd be finishing up like in the cafe and like fully reorganized the place of like a bunch of other like computer work that I had done needed to be back in for seven, eight o'clock in the morning for the next day. And I just like crawl up on a couch, like literally just like sleep on my backpack, <laughs> wake up, like go through a whole nother day, like go home later on that night. You know, just like, again, text my girlfriend at like, you know, 11 o'clock, be like, Hey, <laughs> 11 o'clock midnight. Be like, well, I gotta be back in here at seven. <laughs> it's a commute back. So, you know, just gonna, just gonna do this. And so those, and then like waking up and then getting the whole thing, like Agora's got this like fun little, um if you guys have ever been to it it's got the little gate that kind of goes in the front and it kind of like pushes shut when you like open it it like kind of smacks together when you're opening it and i just remember the first the day that we like finally got open in march because i had started planning the reopening for agora that happened last march kind of like not even the previous summer so it'd been like 18 months or so of like planning that went into like getting it reopened and that was just that was just so much work that went into it. I remember just like pushing those gates open that like first morning to like get it going. And like, yeah, I won't forget. I won't forget that one. Like, I won't forget the times with the volunteers either. Like that was just, you know, just like having this like small group of people and like our training week, like I got COVID in our training week, like prior to our training week. And I trained the volunteers from my bedroom on the phone. Like there was like a speaker phone. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, so in this drawer, you should see these things. And in that drawer, you should see these things. And now you walk around back and then there's the, you know, like, yeah, it, like an entire week of <laughs> training people from my bedroom, you know? And so it was just that kind of like motto in this space is like, just make it work with what you have. And I think that like, it's really embraced. Like it's it's chaotic as well, you know? And so, yeah, like this term, like when it had finally gotten open, like I remember Imagine Day of like hundreds of people's, like I think I've got, I'm over 700 students like emails that have like accumulated that like when we need to like start a term or something, I just like send out this mass email to everybody. I'm like, let's get up and going. 
you know, I remember like my partner's brother's like big into computer science and we were like writing a computer script to like automatically schedule 150 people. Like, like that was like a really cool thing. You know, I just remember like standing in like a lunch service with like a couple people and like someone's really stressed and somebody else is a bit stressed. And it's just like, we got this, you know, like, this is totally fine. Like, we're about to feed all these people. And then the, the kind of pinnacle of Agora's work for me is really the community dinners. Like if I'm being fully honest, like, because when we do our community dinners, they're like twice a week and they're funded from the profits of the restaurant. And so like Agora this year has received zero subsidy funding for its current like location and operation, like zero subsidy funding. And it's been two nights of the week, every single week, we serve about a hundred people a free meal and they get to like take extras as well. Like, whatever they had wanted to take home. We would just like cook a ton of it and to stand in front of a room that's got like a hundred people in it, you know, and just be like, Hey everybody, you know, like welcome to Agora, you know, like we're about to have an absolute feast, you know, all these volunteers pulled this together, you know, a team of 150 had like made this happen, you know, and just like the power and the feeling of like, you know, we can do this on our own. Like we, we, like we fully can do this on our own. Like nobody can stop this. You know, like we don't need anything from anybody to do it. And it's just the most empowering thing. Like it just like I get so excited every time that we're just like whip up hundreds of food you know, and just the way it goes. So, yeah, doing that twice a week, every single week is yeah, it, it's really cool. It's really, really cool. So that's kind of the peak of it for me. Beautiful answers. I love the community emphasis. It's just so wonderful to hear and very wholesome, very empowering indeed. Um, another question, kind of focusing on that community impact, you both have had the privilege in working in spaces where those who might be struggling with food insecurity or a lack of food options come to. How have your organizations impacted students if you have seen an impact? And kind of, you know, you can share stories, examples, um, anything that resonates with you. Oh, I feel like both of our organizations have impacted students in insanely significant ways. Um, there for the food hub market, at least there's so many students that come up to me and just, they're so happy that this space exists. There's such a huge gap for being able to access affordable groceries on campus. Um, right now there's only the grocery checkout that's physically like on campus and it's very expensive. I think a recent campus nutrition article shows that it's 91% more expensive than our market. Um, and save on foods and no frills are just a little bit further of a commute. So for people living on campus, it's been definitely hard to get access to affordable food. And a lot of the times they're kind of forced to, you know, um, resort to buying takeout or purchasing pre-made food on campus, which is very expensive or simply just not eating because they can't afford any food. Um, so it's been really cool to see people come in this space and a lot of them have kind of just come up to me and thanked me for having this space exist and that they wouldn't have eaten today if this market didn't exist. And those are like so rewarding. Like those comments are so rewarding to hear because I think sometimes like Cody, I'm sure you can agree that sometimes we get really lost in our work and we just kind of keep grinding and grinding and grinding and we kind of get lost. And sometimes we have these moments of like, what am I doing all this work for? Like it's, it's so much and it's so, like taxing on like our mental and physical health sometimes. Um, but just hearing like one comment like that really just refuels the fire for me at least. Like it's like all this hard work is so worth it. Even if it can just help one person like eat a meal today, like that is everything. And 
Um, yeah, so definitely like I feel very privileged to be able to work in a space that can help provide food for people at an affordable cost and not even just have like any type of food. Like what me and Cody really wanted to focus on when we created this space was that we didn't want it to feel like a food bank. We didn't want it to feel like you were just buying cans or, or dried food. It's like we want fresh, nutritious um, food that not only feeds like the physical body, but um, helps with it helps improve like mental health, focusing on our studies and our spiritual health. And um, a lot of the options that we carry in our space are are very carefully curated to um, really fit the demographic that comes through. We know that there's a lot of international students that come through and navigating a North American grocery store for the first time can be very overwhelming. So we really wanted to have like culturally diverse options in the space, like fish sauce or Thai green curry paste or palm sugar and a bunch of other options like halloumi. Um, but we really wanted to make sure people felt like they were seen and that they had some sort of memory of home, something that's familiar to them when they come through. Um, so yeah, a big aspect of the space is not just direct food access, but just the the feeling of you know being welcomed into a space and feeling safe and, and reducing stigma in that way. Yeah. yeah. Mine, um, and mine again, definitely comes back to the community dinner. Like I said, like Agora's, like, you know, like Agora's got all the volunteers that have come together, you know, they've like grinded it out, you know, like week after week. And then, you know, like having it organized and set up the way that it is, like allows this output to happen. I said like twice a week for through our community dinners. And so like when those are kind of like coming together, you know, like I said, they're like standing in front of this room. And so through my master's like program, like I had a survey design course. And so we had like organized a survey, had completed it and like surveyed the group. Um, and the food insecurity rate within the population that's at these dinners is, is 50% of, of the folks, you know? And so like one of the, you know, questions, you know, that we had asked is like, you know, how many nights a week like would you need to attend this dinner to be able to afford to feed yourself, you know? And so for the folks that answer, you know, like one or two times a week, you know, it's like, and we see them there, you, you don't know who they are because the surveys were anonymous, but knowing that somebody just from this outlet could go from being like, okay, I cannot afford to feed myself to like, you know, just the support that being able to come in like twice a week to be able to do this would allow, you know, it's just, it, it, it's just awesome to know that like you can have like that much of an impact, you know, on somebody's, on somebody's life. And so, yeah, just like, seeing people at this dinner, you know, the folks that come up afterwards and they're like, thank you so much. You know, like this was so like inviting and it was warm, you know? And I remember like reading over the survey results and I was like, like were you stressed to come to this? You know, like, did you enjoy your time? And people would be like, no, this felt awesome. Like this was like a social gathering. Like it's like, okay, you're showing up to some place to get a free meal. And, you know, we've managed, you know, to like kind of remove that like soup kitchen feel of like showing up. It's like, oh, you know, like you drag yourself in there and you're like, okay, you know, like, Hey, like, I, I like feel kind of gross that I need to ask for help. And it's, it's not like, it's like, yeah, it's like a big like community gathering, you know? And it's just like the, the vibes are good. The atmosphere is awesome, you know? And like, nobody feels like victimized in the space, you know, for the most part, like at least from what I have been able to tell. And so that, you know, that, that like first validation that it is this non-discriminatory way of accessing free and affordable food like came through like that first bit of research and so it, it was just awesome to see you know and it was it was really cool and and as Caitlin had said it's like that little nugget that you get that just like adds fuel to the fire 
and you're just like, okay, like, you know, we are doing something, we are doing something right here. Like this is, this is, this is impactful and powerful and, you know, very excited to, you know, roll into the next phase of it. Beautiful. Thank you both so much for those answers. Um, one last question for both of you before we move on to some individual questions. Um, we've talked a little bit about how, you know, for example, Agora is self-sufficient and is not receiving like external subsidizing from the university. So now we're kind of going to turn it actually towards the university and kind of ask you both what you think that the university can do to support students, faculty, and staff to decrease the issue of food insecurity on campus. And also what can students who are interested in helping do? Like, is there any way they can volunteer stuff like that? Um, so yeah, I'll open the floor to both of you. Yeah, I mean, um, what we found recently in the past couple of years is that there's been huge increases in the usage of the food bank. And at the same time, a lot of people who need to access the food bank aren't accessing it due to this issue around stigma. Um, so I feel like initiatives like Agora and Sprouts and the Food Hub Market are really placed strategically in a way where we're trying to reduce stigma significantly. And what we're finding is that a lot of people are utilizing these resources and and something that's kind of differentiating us from the, the typical food bank model is that we're trying to work really hard on um, prevention of people falling into uh, the category of food insecure. So we're trying to really like make our spaces open to everybody, not just people who need emergency relief, but also opening it up to people who may be on the verge of food insecurity and maybe people who aren't on the verge of food insecurity, but could be in the future. So we're trying to look at these long-term solutions that are more about surrounding harm reduction rather than waiting for people to fall into that category and then just throwing a bunch of um, free food at them because that doesn't actually solve an issue. Um, so I think what we really want from uh, the campus community is just to feel supported. And I think we do already, but uh, it's really cool to just see things grow and have students be become more involved in volunteering and using the these resources because a lot of the times people just aren't aware of the resources that exist. Um, so just getting the word out there, um, sharing it with your friends, having people use these resources because the more people that use them really highlights um, just how important and needed these resources are. And um, for us, it's really important to see that that we're doing something important that's filling this gap. And when we see those numbers, we can really like show the university that there's an issue here. There's a lot of people who are needing access to this resource that's helping them right now. We need further support. Um, so yeah, I think it's just honestly, everybody coming together and working towards this issue in a more cohesive way. Um, so like specifically with the food hub market, it's kind of a weird model where it's a hybrid between student-led and kind of helped by the university um, and the Office of Wellbeing. So it's kind of like working together in different ways and finding synergies with other groups on campus and just spreading the word about resources. Because I, from my personal experience, like the five years that I've gone to UBC, there's so many resources I wasn't aware of until like this year. And, and it would have helped me a lot in different ways um, related to like financial stuff and mental health stuff. So yeah, just spreading the word is probably the best thing. Yeah, so this is this is a massive question. <laughs> this, is a, this is a very big question, you know, and that's one of the things about these wicked problems is that there isn't just like an, an answer to them. 
Um, but I can like break it down into a few pieces, but one of them is like very actionable is that if there's any students that are looking to this, um, watching this podcast and are like, Hey, you know, like food security work sounds, you know, awesome. Like I would absolutely love to contribute to this, but there is a second Agora that's going to be opening up and, you know, we are in need of volunteers to get the place open. So it's about 70 is about the number that we need in terms of volunteers to get the next place open. Um, and it'll be opening up towards the end of March. It'll only be running for three weeks, you know, so you'd have three two-hour shifts that you'd be able to do um, at the end. And so if there's anybody that was interested in doing that, you know, we can give my contact information to, to you guys at the end of this. And, you know, I would love to be able to put that out there, like when this when this goes out, of like, okay, if, if folks were inspired by this and like, damn, you know, like, this sounds awesome. Like I would love to help out with this. Um, that'd be great. And like three two-hour shifts to like help, start you know kickstart like this this amazing operation um i feel like is is like a super small ask um and you get a free meal at the end of your ship as well and an and invite to these community dinners and plugged into you know one of the you know the, the, i think sprouts is definitely the largest and you know biggest and like broadest and like impactful like student operation on campus um and i think agora is second behind that i think we've got about 150 Right now, I think Sprouts is over 300. <laughs> like they're, they're an absolute army in this space. And with a new space, I think we'd be up around like 220 or so. And so we'd be like coming, coming into that. You know, also like army, army style things. So getting plugged into a community like that is super cool. So I would I would put that out there as an actionable item for folks. So I'll get my contact to you guys. Um, and the second piece isn't so much an answer so much as something that I've come to realize with the university is, is I think an important thing to note that I've come to be 100% clear on is that the university wants to help. Now, another thing to realize is that often the university doesn't know how, like, and it's because the whole thing is so fragmented and the, like, like, bureaucracy that that is in place to allow this place to function is there and and the channels that you need to navigate to get the work done are not defined like like you can't define it initially and so what i mean by this is like in getting the second agora open the number of people i have had to message is in the high 60s of okay, you've got to go to this person and they're in the finance office and then they've got to go two layers down into the finance office to get to this VP person who's then got a relay, who's then got to come back. And then you've got another pocket and then you've got another pocket and then another pocket. And eventually you're in through so many different pockets to get the stuff done that that roadmap is like never really defined initially. And so for students that are like looking to like start an initiative or get going, I feel like navigating that is like really, really tricky. And so it's 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 really hard because any one individual, like it may be on, on their slate, it may not, and like knowing how to get to all of these things. And so as it's it's more of a piece of like if anybody is in passion is, is like passionate about something, you know, like I would love to be, you know, a point of contact for you to help out with something. Like there was you know, this initiative called Fridge for Fuel that was looking to get a community fridge going. And I think they were like 18 months in getting it going. And then it was just like a sticking point at, you know, how do we get the fridge in a place, you know, and have like, it, who's going to juris, who's going to be the jurisdiction for it? Which faculty is going to do it? Who's going to be the person that's going to be supporting it? What's the liability pieces? Like, these are all the like big questions that need to be answered and addressed within this. And 
when you start this work, like you, you don't even know that vocabulary. <laughs> like you don't know who's the people or what are the things. And, you know, you'll get told no because you can't do something because of something else. And it's like how to find your way around that. Like no doesn't mean no. Like it, it means that there's probably something else that needs to get done to get it there. Like if it seems reasonable in your head, like almost certainly it can be done. It's just how do you navigate it to get that that done? And so, you know, the the people that are in these positions of like within the food security space, you know, like the food hub, food hub market folks, you know, like myself, I know Sprouts is a big piece. Like I know anybody that's within this space, if you bring ideas to, it's like so, so open to just being like, we love it. <laughs> like let's like let's let's get it together. Like let's try and put the put the structure on it. And like that's that's my big thing is just like how can we get the structure on this like okay like let's go from idea to action as quickly and as seamlessly as possible you know and so it's like we need to message these 13 people <laughs> and you know we can pull funding from here or you know maybe we don't or maybe we get this other piece and you know just kind of like mapping that whole thing out so again if anybody is listening to this podcast and has ideas and is inspired about doing something like you know again my contact information will be shared to join agora I'd be happy to talk about what ways we could operationalize like other initiatives on campus because the power really is in the students with this. Like our ability to navigate this because of those like lines like within the institution is so powerful, like so powerful. Like I think that if only every like student knew like the amount of power that they have like at this institution to like just curate change and just okay, I've got an idea. I want to pull it together and knowing how to do that and watching it come together. It's like, yeah, again, it's so empowering. It's so empowering. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a life-changing experience for sure to go through and, you know, you see these things kind of come to life so quickly and yeah, just beautifully. It's awesome. Now, yeah. I don't think that answers your exact question, but that's, that's kind of the nugget of information I <laughs> like to give from that direction of things. Yeah, you're both clearly so passionate about this topic. And it sounds like the systems that we have in place do make it more difficult, but you guys are both leaders in this space around food insecurity and security on campus. And it sounds like um, there's a lot of power and that if students want to help, then um, they definitely can. And so, yeah, please reach out to Caitlin or Cody, their information will be provided in the podcast details. So thank you both for answering the group questions. Uh, now we want to learn a little bit more about your individual background and also the initiatives that you work at. So starting off with Cody, so we know you're a current master's student who used to be in the food science program and transferred into integrated systems. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but what are your areas of interest in your studies? Yeah, so my current studies are on, um, it's called integrated studies in uh, land and food systems. And so it's it's pretty like loose degree. And so it gives me like a ton of like freedom like within the space. And so like my thesis is like I'm calling it like reproducible models for sustainably addressing food insecurity. And so basically like I like to pose the question and Caitlin's been on a countless Zoom calls with, <laughs> with me and hear me say these same words of like, if we only had money one time, 
what can we do with it? You know, like how, like I, I'm, I'm constantly driving this point, like how far can we drive like $1 of funding, you know? And can we get it something so that way you have nothing and you just go money and then just boom, infrastructure. And then with that infrastructure, you no longer need any more money. And the impact that you're able to have from that is able to derive it out. And so my threshold for calling like a reproducible and sustainable model is it's only worth it if the eventual output of the system surpasses $1 of food bought now. So that's that's my, I, I don't know, yeah, that probably a dozen times or more <laughs> Caitlin's heard me go on this spiel and rant. But, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, like any dollar that's being spent like on food security work you know, should be going to direct food access for students, unless you can build a model that can allow for more than $1 of food to be given out to students. You know, so we, you know, get funds to open up the restaurant, we run the restaurant, you know, and then we give away, you know, 100 free meals twice a week, every single week from now until the end of time, you know, that will eventually pass the, the funds that had come in for it. You know, we have a catering gig as well. So we do, we do catering. Uh, the catering operation that we have, we simply take the profits from the catering and then we have a community fridge and a pantry that will be getting going. And so once all of the pays come in from the catering, we then sustainably fund the, the, the catering setup, you know? And so for the cost of a fridge and a pantry and some catering equipment, you now have a reproducible and scalable model for, you know, having the, having catering options available, you know? And so the same comes in. I pose this question all the time at the market, you know, is like, okay, how can the market get set up with this, you know? And, and so we kind of look at at getting that piece set up there as well. And okay, like if we were to have a second market at a different location, you know, does this model work? Will we need another one? If so, what kind of funding do we need? What's our impact? And we're constantly assessing those things to find like the best direction forward. And then that's kind of the like operational piece that like I'm really big on. And then like my my research is heavily around like all of this is run on volunteers, you know, like that, like that needs to be, you know, like between Sprouts, between the food bank, between, you know, the food hub market, you know, in between Agora, I think there's 130, there'll be 70 at the second one, there'll be 50 at the market, you know, there's 300 at Sprouts, there's, I don't know how many more at the food bank, you know, but there is hundreds of students doing this all on a volunteer level, you know, and I'm wildly interested in like, what is the impact on them, you know? Like of the people that are on the ground floor making this work happen, is it stressful? Do they enjoy it? Do they feel obligated to do it but hate it? Does it does it retract from their studies? Do they do they love it? Is it giving them that sense of community that we're hoping for? And getting to kind of know whether or not these initiatives that we're doing are like exploitative in some way on the volunteers or is actually additive to their experience at university is like so important. I think to know and consider and to like actually have, because, uh, you know, you can stroll into a space and be like, Hey, how's it going? And all you're going to get all the time. It's like, things are good. Things are good. Things are good. But you don't know, you know, were they sitting at home dreading showing up, you know, like a lunch shift at Agora is chaotic. Like we serve 150 people a day and the people doing it little to no experience, you know, like one of my favorite analogies that I give when it comes to like, work experience like at at agora is is you do two hours once per week right for the entire semester and it's in our operating time is 11 weeks and so if you think of volunteering at agora as a single work week like your first work week at a new job you are done the semester 
at three o'clock on a Wednesday, <laughs> right? That's how much work experience you get. You know, if you're working a nine to five, three o'clock on a Wednesday, you're done for the term. <laughs> like the asking student volunteers to be proficient at a role, but without even finishing three work days <laughs> in what is notoriously known as one of the most like hectic and chaotic environments is like super, super challenging, you know? And so that's kind of the third piece of my thesis. So it's like the operational efficiency piece and like, how can we do this and scale it? You know, the second piece is around the well-being. And then the third piece is around like the structure and the training and how to make this reproducible. How can you reduce the latency period of getting this open again? How can you onboard a group of 150 people that have never done this before and have them be fairly well-versed in this space? And so this kind of like trifecta of things is like where, you know, yeah, my like initial research will be starting. And yeah, I plan on doing my PhD in this after my masters as well so i must i must just know it'll keep growing but that's that's kind of the point right now that's really cool um especially the operational piece and like also looking at the well-being of the volunteers has there been a lot of literature or research done in these areas beforehand or are you kind of starting from scratch yeah so my okay so my undergraduate research was in um, Dr. John Frostad's lab. And I went from that, it was all like food science heavy. And then I went from that into uh, my master's in food science. I was doing interfacial phenomena. I was like modifying agricultural sprays and designing like ask like space food. You know, I was like improving the lipid oxidation of omega fatty acids and like modifying agricultural sprays with polymers and surfactants. And like my literature was like heavy, heavy, heavy into that. And then I switched into the new program at the start of this term. And then with getting a new restaurant open, you know, get 150 people out on the way, you know, had you know, a couple other part-time jobs that I was working as well. And then with this new restaurant coming up and in, like, it was a really weird transition point. <laughs> like, like the strangest master's program, like I can probably think of is like, okay, let's open up two restaurants and train 200 people and get them running and then layer the research in on top of it. And so I hadn't gotten heavily into the literature piece yet, if I'm being completely honest. Um, That'll be coming, you know, kind of in April when both of the Agoras shut down, you know, like the market's going to be hit into like breather mode, you know, the whole term kind of like sets down and then we're like, okay, you know, like, let's, let's figure out, you know, like what's going on here and how we can really kind of pinpoint these three things that I was looking at and like find, you know, where the angle is in at it. Cause yeah, right now it's, it's pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty chaotic time at the moment. Well, it's exciting that you do get to explore like the literature part later as well on like having done the more sciencey part in undergrad and the operational part. Um, it'll be a cool, more interdisciplinary disciplinary look, which I think is really unique. Yeah. So awesome. yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. The like social, the social dynamics that come into play here are something I'm very excited to learn about. Like they weren't something, you know, like you're you're dealing with inanimate objects when you're doing that like hard science like the, the agricultural spray doesn't have feelings you know <laughs> and so like knowing how to like consider that and like have best practices while doing research you know and and considering that like all the way through is something that yeah i'm very very excited and looking forward to is is that like research component like pushes out over the next like year or so 
Awesome. And I guess moving on to more of Agora and what you're um what you're involved in. So you guys feed so many people and you said that you have two of the community meals per week. So how do you prepare for it and plan all these courses and meals and organize the volunteers and get the ingredients and that kind of thing? Yeah, so the the setup at Agora is is um, so there's a governance structure that runs it completely volunteer governance structure and so like I myself like I said last term had like moved into kind of like the advisory piece on it and like I'll just do kind of like last second checks on it it's a very weird art form to feed a hundred plus people and all you can eat meal allowing them to take home leftovers like um, so I'll just like touch on that briefly and then I'll kind of give you the structure piece. Um, but if you, an individual, you know, were to show up and be like, okay, I have a hundred people to feed tonight. A very, very logical thing to do would be to find a recipe that says it feeds six, you know, multiply it up to feed a hundred, add a couple more and say, okay, this is enough food and then order that amount of food. But these dinners don't work like that because people won't eat breakfast or lunch and then will show up and just eat their entire meals worth of food at the dinner and then take home leftovers. So like the last two summers, I worked as the executive chef at this kids camp in Ontario. It served 475 people breakfast, lunch and dinner and an afternoon snack. And so I know what it's like to feed 500 people <laughs> and 100 people show up and we are serving close to 300 people's worth of food it will get destroyed like at these, at these meals. And so having that checkpoint for that is like pretty big, but other than that kind of like checkpoint at the dinners, like Agora, you know, as chaotic as it may be, like runs autonomously, like without like my like intervention into it. And so there's a general manager, um, absolute gem of a be of a human being, his name is Torin. Um, so he had kind of reached out to me last semester. It was just like, hey, you know, like I want to want to do this thing. And so he he manages the the day to day operations of it. Now there's there's an executive team that's been put in place uh, as well. So there's I think we're up to about 10 on the executive team now. So one of them does the, the menu and organizes our prep schedule. Um, one of them does the there's two of them that do catering or sorry, one person that does catering, two of them that do community dinners, one on Mondays, one on Thursdays, because it's a lot to take on. It's like a four or five hour event for an individual. So that's big. Um, there's somebody that orders the food. Um, it's like our inventory manager. So they order the food twice a week. Um, they kind of receive stuff from the catering side. They receive stuff from the community dinner and then like manage the cafe as well. So that's like a very heavy, it's a very heavy role that's taken on. Uh, then we have some like wellness coordinators. We've got a finance manager. We've got an HR manager, and we also have somebody for like social media, slash like web and tech side. Um, and so this like whole executive team is kind of built out um, to kind of manage all of the like individual components of it. And then they meet once a week to kind of check in on how things are going. And then the volunteers work in two-hour time chunks. So they it's nine to eleven, and then eleven to one, one to three, three to five. And then our community dinner team will show up on Mondays and Thursdays from five to eight. And then we got a team that'll come in and do some prep on the weekend as well. And so that's kind of the like structure of how it's, how it's set up. And then our prep schedule is like, you show up at nine to 11 and it's like, these are the tasks to be done at this time. These are the ones to be done at this time. And so it's just Monday to Monday to Friday, every time chunk is kind of built out. And so that's, that's a bit around that side. So 
everybody's kind of got their roles and had been set up and trained to do it. And then we look to kind of onboard the new team that'll be doing it, get them trained and then have the, the team kind of exit. So that time's coming up, coming up soon as well for the executive team for Agora for 2023, 2024. So, but yeah, that's just a, a bit about the executive structure and how it runs. It's awesome to hear that everyone's role, like it's self-sufficient and everyone's like empowered and like contributing that like as much as they can. And I guess it's also such a large organization um, and like in terms of the people involved and also the amount of people you feed. So there must be some obstacles that I imagine when you're running the cafe. (laughs) What kind of obstacles um, do you guys face? Oh my goodness. So it's, it's amazing work, but it is very difficult, you know? And like I said, like, so when I was like a, a chef, like I was a sous chef for a full year at this like fine dining establishment, working with complete professionals, two or three nights of the week, our service would be a gong show. <laughs> you know? Like restaurant work is so hard. And like I said, this like piece of showing up and like getting everybody trained and like feeling comfortable, like, you know, we've got... Oh, like I'm just going to name off a bunch of random little stuff, like tasks, like my calibration around like how long things would take and how long they actually take for somebody that's never done it. Like I'm constantly trying to like assess what that's like, because we have these big cans. I don't know if you've ever seen them like this big around, you get a can opener. Now, if you know how to do it and it works really well, you can open it in 15 seconds. You mess it up 10 or 15 minutes to like open up a single can, you know, and we'll have multiple, multiple cans to open up. So there could be three volunteers for 45 minutes opening cans, you know, now that could, that could have been like a two, three minute task if it was, you know, like done well. And then, you know, we've got a little prep room that we have and we've got the back of the cafe. And so there's kind of like two teams that work in separation. Um, but you've got 150 people that are coming in and out of the space, all touching stuff and putting putting it back. And so having everybody like fully up to speed on like where all of the stuff is, what the environment's like, where all the things are. And you've only got till three o'clock on a Wednesday to get them all trained and up to speed. And that's if it was, you know, the final week was really good, you know. So having somebody up to speed by, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, if they were starting their work week on a Monday, it's like so difficult to get that piece done. Um, you know, it's like communication around like, you know, there's a turnover that happens three times a day, you know, at 11 o'clock, one o'clock and three o'clock. And so having eight people come in and then eight people come out at the same time, like that's, 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 that can be chaotic. Like there's a bit of time that's allowed for the turnover, but even still like coming into a moving operation like that is, is, is a lot. Um, I know like another piece um, that that is, is tricky is is just uh, like attendance like because you know it's a volunteer position like you get a free meal at the end of it but if you've got a, a midterm or you've got a study or you've got other other priorities and commitments like the first thing to get swept off the table is going to be your two hour a week commitment right to this to this place and so um yeah getting getting that kind of you know like full 137 people buy in to have you know like full attendance every single week and so because we have a prep team and we have a service team, you know, there might be any permutation of how people kind of mix up. It can get a little, it can get a little bit chaotic of, okay, we're having a little switch back and forth. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's, that's some pieces there. Um, and then, you know, the, the kind of final piece is that like, just 
the ability to stand as as you've never really done restaurant work before and look out and see a lineup of 15 or 20 people that have showed up because we're really concentrated at lunchtime. Like when lunchtime comes, everybody wants lunch, you know, and when you've got some of the most affordable lunch on campus, <laughs> there's no shortage of people coming and knocking at your doors. And so to have very limited restaurant experience and to like look out and see just like a sea of people, like there's this feeling of stress that just kind of comes over. And then, you know, communication and, you know, managing bills and, you know, having having the whole setup go and keeping it all organized and flowing really well. Um, yeah, it's definitely a lot to kind of get set up and trained in. And so, yeah, those are those are some of the initial pieces, you know, that I would kind of say have been like challenging things to, you know, get get under there and yeah, just keeping keeping like team morale, team morale up and kind of like building that kind of community piece that everybody, you know, is kind of like bought into the to the mission about what's going on, but has a fantastic time and makes a ton of friends while doing it. And so like that's kind of where it all comes together and turns into this like beautiful flourishing mechanism for sustainably addressing food insecurity, you know. And now I'll kind of finish. I think this is the last question, you know, and so I'll finish the like, you know, like Agora's, you know, main mission, like while it is, you know, it was heavily around like sustainably addressing food insecurity. And we've really kind of pivoted over the last like couple months towards like fostering communal well-being through food. You know, that's 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 kind of the, you know, in the moment that I first heard somebody say that, I was like, that is it. You know, like that is what we are trying to do here. You know, like if, if we can get that to happen, you know beautiful you know like everything that we've got has come together you know if we've got this like fostering communal well-being through food you know and so i think that that's something that all of these initiatives on campus are striving towards you know and so yeah we try and get try and get closer and closer to that every single day thanks cody uh so much for sharing a little bit about yourself and running agora um, the obstacles, it's definitely sounds like just the tip of the iceberg, but <laughs> uh, I bet it's just the tip of the iceberg running such a large organization. Um, but in terms of the goal and like fostering well-being in the community, that's a really awesome initiative and like turning the conversation and from like a place of shame to something that can be so amazing. So thanks, Cody. Um, Caitlin, thank you for sitting by. Um, we're going to move on to some questions for you now. Um, so um, it sounds like you found the general director for Food Hub Market, that position as a co-op, which is really cool. Um, did you know what you were getting into when you applied to that job? And so what has um, it been like getting that started? Uh, I guess I didn't really know what I was getting into because... Uh, even the job description for being the Food Hub Market Director was very vague at the time, just because it was a big experiment. Um, so it was kind of posted just after the nine-week experimental pilot launched on campus. So um, during that pilot, it was ran by UBC Food Services, and they had their own staff doing um, the operations of that space and ordering um, and it was kind of just based off of a psychology student's research around stigma and accessing food resources on campus. Um, so it was kind of just quickly thrown together, um, became very successful with having low cost groceries for students. Uh, they wanted to bring it back, but have it run by a student. So that's when they posted it. There wasn't too much information, but I remember it sounding really interesting. So that's why I wanted to be involved. I'm really happy that I got that because it aligns with my values very well. 
Um, but yeah, getting everything going on a personal end, it was a huge obstacle because I have zero experience with any of this. Um, so it was kind of me coming in freshly as like just kind of finishing up all my classes in undergrad and um, just really excited to learn something new and get my hands dirty. But it really did involve a lot of um, just like creating this space from almost nothing. Like I think me and Cody, when we got there was like bare bones. There was like a few leftover cans of food from the pilot, but it was really just a, you're going to make this whatever you think would be best and most useful for the students and for the greater community at UBC for addressing food insecurity. Um, so there was quite a few obstacles on like the operational side, I suppose it's a, it's a very small space. So we really had to be strategic with the way we we're going to use it and the layout. Um, so Cody really came in and helped me with choosing kind of a better flow for the space, moving things around, ordering new furniture. We built a lot of new shelves and really got the nice one way flow through the space like Ikea we had in mind um, instead of these like really tight aisles that weren't very accessible for people. Um, yeah, so one of the biggest um, obstacles that we kind of had at the start was just, what are we going to do? Like, we only have X amount of time to kind of get open and running for this to be like, you know, beneficial for this semester. Um, so we really wanted to get things going as fast as possible, but also being very intentional with how we were setting up the space. Um, and a lot of that required around was uh, revolving around um, what, what kind of food are we going to supply in the space? Um, and what suppliers are we going to kind of get set up with? Um, so we really wanted to get set up with Bilo Foods because they have a really wide variety of food um, that they supply. Um, and we also wanted to work with like Fresh Point for fresh produce and GFS. Um, so Gordon Food Services to get like milk and tofu and other things. Um, and one of the big issues we kind of had at the start was just suppliers not really taking us seriously, not really understanding what we were trying to do with the space. Um, now that we were student-led, we didn't have UBC Food Services name in front of us. Um, and a lot of suppliers were kind of confused about if, if we were affiliated with the university or if we were our own thing and um, how much we were going to be ordering, if it was worth it for them, I suppose, to do all the paperwork to get us signed up with a PO with them. So it was a lot of back and forth and trying to get things figured out on that end with suppliers of like, this is what we're trying to do. We really need your help and we need it like fast. And that wasn't always the case. So I think when me and Cody first opened the store, it was, we only had one supplier, which was Gordon Food Services. And it, we like, the shelves were just like barely stocked and it almost felt like wrong to open up because we were like, this looks sad. It looks sparse and this is not what we envisioned. But a lot of back and forth was kind of happening with our advisory board. And we kind of came to a conclusion that it was like, better to open and have like something than to just keep closed and wait even longer because at this point it was already mid-October um, so we really wanted to get food out to people as fast as possible especially with food insecurity being like such a hot topic at the start of September um, with the walkout and everything so yeah those are just a few of the obstacles there's so many other things that we had to go through with just approvals from different groups um, from the university and the union um, and yeah, I guess right now things are a lot smoother with operations, but there's always, you know, volunteers like Cody was talking about earlier, that's, you know, so many of them are so passionate about being there and so many of them want to help out, but 
sometimes things get in the way and emergencies happen and personal things happen and school can get in the way as well and stress and mental health related issues also come up. So there are a lot of times where volunteers won't show up and sometimes they won't give notice either. So that can be stressful sometimes, especially in a space where I usually only have three three people operating it. And if two people aren't showing up, one person's on their own, or if all three aren't showing up, I'm dropping everything I'm doing and running down there and just taking over. So yeah, I mean, for the most part, things are good now, but there's always things that come up every day and you really can't predict it. Yeah, I can imagine, especially getting started with the co-op job and it being so vague and being bare bones, like getting it up and running and kind of finding all those resources by yourself. That must have been like such a big learning curve. But it's awesome to see that the growth that the food hub market has gone through um, over the past couple months. And we're excited to see what happens in the future as well. So that's really awesome. Um, And another question that we have is, how does the food hub market sustain its operation? Um, I know that you guys have volunteers, but um, the food is sold at cost. Yeah, so we can get our food for really low cost because and sell it at the same price because of the fact that we don't have to pay rent on the space and that we have volunteers operating um, the market. So that takes off a lot of the extra costs that other places other grocery stores would add on as well as the profit that other grocery stores would probably be adding on as well. Um, So for us, we're not paying for rent. We're not paying for labor. We're not paying for utilities. We're not paying for um, the cleaning. Um, So that can help us really keep our prices down. So we don't need to increase and add um, dollar amounts to the food that we're selling. Um, And since we have UBC food services kind of supporting us with the suppliers a little bit, it's kind of complicated. We can get our prices down just like a little bit lower as well. Um, So we try to source the food for the lowest possible price and then sell it for the exact same price. Um, At the start, we were adding 5% just for wastage. What we were finding is that we had like a little bit of extra funding where we could leverage kind of lowering the price back to that at cost pricing and then still being able to self-sustain itself. So all the food that we sell and all the money that we profit from those items being sold, we just put back into replenishing the store with those exact same items. So that's kind of how it creates a self-sustaining model um, is that we don't really have any like bigger costs that we have to pay. Um, And then that allows us to keep the food cheap as well as um, helping us self-sustain our model in the space. Yeah, I didn't know that you guys didn't have to worry about all those other costs. So that's really cool um, and great that it's able to self-sustain in that way. Um, and I'm curious, um, what does a day look like for you as the general director? I imagine it's like very different every day, um, doing different tasks. And you, as you mentioned, if like a volunteer doesn't come, then you have to step in and that kind of thing. Yeah, every day is very different. Uh It always starts off with me picking up bread, though, uh, because I'm kind of stubborn and I really wanted to have our local bakery. Dough Girls supply bread for the market, but they don't do delivery. So I bike um, and pick up the bread for the day and bike it over, rain or shine or snow or any weather. So I bring it over. Um, So I'm usually sweating at this point and they bring the bread in and head upstairs into my office in the center, um, in the SERS building. I can never remember the full name because it's very long. Um, But yeah, every day is very different. It's kind of like, let's open our laptop, see what kind of emails are coming in because there's going to be tons of people, either volunteers changing their shifts or people who want to collaborate, set up meetings, lots of things going on, suppliers reaching out. Um, 
so yeah, sometimes there's like really cool, like smaller businesses that also want to be a part of our space. So that's been really interesting. Um, then volunteers come at around 10 to set up the store. So for the first half an hour of their shift, it's just getting everything ready, making coffee, setting up uh, milk and restocking the space, clean, doing a little bit of cleaning of like the handles and surfaces. Um, and then just getting all the signage out and turning on the till and the payment devices. And then we open up at 1030. And uh, uh, this semester, it's been really, really busy so far, which has been really cool to see. A lot of people are using the resource and it's really helping people save a lot of money on groceries. And even just having access to groceries is like huge. Um, yesterday, we stayed open during the snowstorm and so many people came by. I was kind of expecting it to be like empty, but um, so many people came by and were like, thank you for staying open today because I was not going to be able to like walk over to save on and the buses aren't really working properly. So, um, yeah, but like every day there's something, you know, new going wrong downstairs. So it's kind of me just running up and down and up and down and fixing things and checking my email when I can, placing orders when I can, receiving orders. But um, a lot of my volunteers are so wonderful and they help out so much with so many things. And a lot of them have continued on from the previous semester. So having that kind of extra experience and knowledge is very helpful for me <laughs> and getting new volunteers situated and everything like that. That is awesome. Yeah, I bet it keeps you on your toes. And it's also so cool that you guys collaborate with Dough Girls. Um, their bread is really good. I've had it a couple of times, but I digress. <laughs> it's really good food there as well. So you mentioned that um, the support from the community has been great and it's had a big impact as well. Um, are there any specific stories um, that you would like to share that have shown what kind of support that you guys give the community and the volunteers and um, everything like that? Yeah, there's so much support from honestly, like so many groups on campus, all the volunteers in the space, all the people that come through, everybody just, feels this kind of like level of warmth when they come in the space. This It's cool to see like your peers running this space and um, and just being able to have those conversations every day and, and just like feeling comfortable in the space. Um, we do a lot of like fun events. We're handing out free food or doing cooking demos. And that's a really cool way for people to just come together. Like we announced on our social media, but a lot of people kind of just are walking by and they're like, what's going on? And it's like, hey, we're doing like a make your own burrito event come on in um and it's really cool to just see everyone be like okay sure and like just chat with new people that maybe are from very different walks of life that you maybe not wouldn't have interacted with if you hadn't come through the space um and i think the same thing kind of happens with our volunteers they're not just students who are volunteering we have instructors and professors and other members of the UBC community. We have a lady who brings her baby and just has her like on her chest while she's like running the till. It's like a very wide variety of people volunteering in this space. And from the feedback that I've heard from other volunteers is that it's like so eye-opening to hear different perspectives and different stories and experiences and knowledge um, around food a lot of the time um, because everybody is just so passionate about food. Um, but it's really cool to see them all kind of connect in different ways and and see their paths cross when they may not have if they didn't take on this volunteer opportunity. Um, and some other ways is just we have like a fun like feedback suggestions board in our space where people can write things on the board, things they want to see in the market, things that they like about the market, things that they want to see improved. 
Um, and I think that's a really cool piece because we can really hear from the community and the whole space is still a, a giant experiment that we're pioneering. So every every day we're like changing things around, like we're moving things into different spaces where they, it makes more sense. I'm adding new items into the market that people have requested. Um, we're making new recipe cards. Um, it's, it's really cool to kind of just see like all the support on campus with um, different partners coming in and doing like um, hosting different events, like the resource fairs. We have like uh, like the wellness center come, the first generation students even come, Agora Cafe come, hand out free granola bars. Um, we've had the sexual health shop from the wellness center come and, on Valentine's Day and sell at cost sexual health products. While we, we gave away like free brownies and bananas. And it's just like these fun events where it's like um, you can collaborate and, and kind of raise awareness for not only things related to food, but just all resources for all resources, like mental health related resources and financial literacy resources. Um, so it's kind of like this fun space um, that we really hoped for for the community um, to just come together, mostly through food, but we can kind of tie food to everything in life. So it's been really cool to experience that um, support from everyone on campus. Yeah, that is awesome to hear. Um, you would think that like after hearing about all that you guys do and the collaborations that you've had, you'd think that the Food Hub has been around for a lot longer than it has. Um, so I'm just wondering, what does the trajectory and growth look like in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because there's a lot of unknowns, especially right now. We're just kind of figuring things out. Um, we've only been open for a few months. Um, but from what we've seen is, the growth is huge. We're seeing on average about 250 people per day come through. And I guess we move about $7,000 worth of product of like related to at cost groceries per week. And we're only open four days a week. Um, so just seeing those numbers grow every week, it's really showing that there's a need for this space. Um, and honestly, it's crazy right now like food is flying off the shelves I'm trying to order as much as possible but we only have so much room in our little back area to keep it so um I don't know hopefully in the future we'll either look for a bigger space or maybe a second location or even a third one um it's really hard to say but I think expansion is definitely in the near future and I think um that's really cool to see because I think that this is a very important initiative to help people in, from all areas of campus come and save money on groceries and create more of a like preventative structure of food security on campus so I'm really hoping that this I, this project lasts long term and really helps a lot of people because it I think there's definitely a need for it Thank you so much, Caitlin. Um, appreciate all of your answers. And thank you, Cody, as well, for joining us today. Um, you guys are both really important leaders in this topic um, around campus. So we appreciate, the students appreciate, everyone appreciates the work that you do. And you guys are so important um, in like fostering like these communities and empowering others and managing your spaces and everything that you do. Um, so thank you also for joining us today. I know you guys are really busy as well. So we appreciate the time that you've taken um, to speak with us today. Thank you. Awesome, thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure hosting the Tomb Est podcast. Another huge thanks to Cody and Caitlin for joining us today. 
Today's episode touched the surface of an ongoing issue at UBC, and we hope you were able to gain some basic knowledge about the status of food insecurity and learn about some available resources here on our campus. I would encourage you to follow the SAC on all major social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn. We post lots of exciting opportunities there for UBC students. Thanks for listening, folks, and be sure to tune in for the next one. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.